Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm very excited for this week's show because we are talking about 1998's Lost in Space with the lostiest, spaciest guy I know, Rob DiCristino. Hey Rob. Patrick, I'm going to tell you a joke. Are you ready? Why did the robot cross the road? <laughs> Why? Because he was carbon bonded to the chicken. Oh, robot, you did learn how to love. Danger. Danger. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this movie. I don't remember maybe. how it came up, but you, me, and Adam somehow were talking about it, and I was like, oh, maybe there's a show there, and you immediately were like, I'm in. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to I'm just gonna not bury the lead. This is one of my favorite movies from my 12-year-old year. <laughs> This is exciting. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Lost in Space. Just a reminder to everybody that next week we'll be in the throes of June exploitation. If you're not familiar with it, please go to fthismovie.com and read all about June exploitation. It's our month-long celebration of exploitation and genre movies. Every day, a different category. Every day, a different way to get in on the sleazy, violent fun. You don't have to watch an exploitation movie, of course. You can watch any movie with cars or police officers or jail or whatever you want, but... Uh, most of us tend to watch crazy, crazy movies. I'm excited about it. How about you, Rob? Oh, I can't wait. Do you have a list yet? Do I have a list of what I'm going to be watching? Yeah. I generally don't make a list. I generally kind of choose on the day. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of people, usually a tradition when we post the list is a lot of people will post their, yeah. their you know, which is a fun tradition. I haven't done one yet, um, but uh, I'm excited to get started. I want to say I've actually have a couple. I have a question for you about the the shot on video day, though. I know there's been some conversation about that. Um, how did that come up, and what's a good resource for that one? That's a good question. A good resource is Chaby, our listener, uh, or okay. <laughs> um, no, our friend Chaby is a big shot on video fan. Um, or there's a shot on video podcast that. I don't think has released an episode in a while, but Mike Delaney, who uh, does How Do You Not Know for us uh, and writes for us sometimes, used to host a podcast called the Shot on Video podcast, and they would only talk about shot on video movies. So you could check out some episodes of that. I'm sure you could just Google a list of shot on video uh, movies. Um, cool. By the time this goes up, the primer probably won't be released, but generally I do like a primer where each day's category is linked to some sort of resource hey here are some suggestions for movies you can watch and so i'll also find something for shot on video day that will link to um some suggestions for stuff to watch but I, that is the one that i'm probably the least familiar and the least comfortable with i'm super excited because i want to do this year i'm going to try to balance rewatches with new watches because it does get exhausting sometimes to try to find new things every year i mean yes, it's good it obviously but um, I definitely want to mix in maybe every other day or every third day or so. I'll mix in like a rewatch or something just to have an excuse to rewatch something. Because that's the thing. Once you get to this point where you're constantly trying to re to watch new things, especially, you know, for what we do, you end up having this great movie that you've only ever seen once, right, you know, exactly. because you're I'm too busy watching – well, some of the movies that I'm going to bring up in a minute, but you know, I'm too busy red boxing and I'm watching <laughs> terrible things, and I don't ever go back and watch something really great. So, um, no, that's so primarily I think that that's going to be my main goal is to kind of do some quality rewatching. Yeah, 
Um, everyone make sure the day that this podcast comes out on fthismovie.com, there will also be a red boxing column from Rob that everyone <laughs> should really be sure to read because <laughs> he suffers for his art, everyone. I, I do it for you guys, and I really I hope that everyone appreciates it. This one, this one is a is a, I'm not going to spoil what it is though, but it is a red letter day in in red boxing history. <laughs> oh what, as soon as I saw this, and again, the day this post, you'll be able to read it. But um, I was excited. I was like, okay, well, I have obviously I have to do this movie, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> That's very cryptic, but you'll get it on yes, the day. That this yes, yes, you will. Um, speaking of movies that you've watched for this site, or just in general, have you seen anything good lately? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm going to start, I got three that I've watched recently. I've been off. I've, I was talking to Adam about this. I've kind of been off of movies in the, the last couple of weeks just cause I just had stuff going on and I, and I kind of had to get myself back into it again a little bit and finding new things. Um, so the first thing I dug up was uh, a movie called Slaughterhouse Rules, uh, 2018. Uh, it's directed by a guy Crispin Mills. Uh, I watched it because it's the first film from Stolen Picture, which is the uh, the new production company started by uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Okay. Um, they both co-star in the movie. They have a uh, kind of side character uh, roles. Uh, Michael Sheen, um, Margot Robbie has a brief cameo. Asa Butterfield, who was uh, I know is Hugo. I always celebrate yeah. Hugo because it's a great movie. Um, it's basically, you know, an English boarding school like you do, um, but uh, local fracking. Basically, the, the in order to stay afloat, the, the school leases some land to a fracking company, and the fracking unleashes monsters that attack the boarding school, and the kids have to fight back against the monsters. Um, not great <laughs> um it, it, it's a good it's a it's the, the movie has a lot of life to it and 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 i don't want to say it's it's a debut feature i don't want to say it's a poorly directed movie but it's a good example of why good direction is important to good story because you can have good story elements but if they're not put together in an effective way it, it just ends up being kind of like listless and meandering and there's like fun character stuff but like none of it really becomes a story um so it's it's not great. It's I don't necessarily know that it's worth a rent. I don't know if I can say that, but um, I did want to mention Simon Pegg and Nick Frost's uh, new company because uh, they're both great, and hopefully they make good things. All right, cool. I was so I was so off this movie when you said English boarding school and fracking, and I was like, oh, I'm never going to see this. But then you <laughs> no. immediately followed up with monsters, and I thought mm, maybe I'm back in. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe some, there might be a few moments of creature effect that that do it for you, but not. There's not. I don't necessarily think there's anything okay. really, really to go for. All right. Um, second, uh, I finally got around to seeing Glass. Uh, oh, by my boy M Night Shyamalan, <laughs> Philly Philly boy. Um, I'm not the best person to go to when it comes to Shyamalan because my favorite Shyamalan movie is Signs. <laughs> um, I love Signs. I like Signs. Um, I, yeah, I think it's it's my by far my favorite movie of his. Um, Glass. I was talking to Adam, and Adam uh, wrote our I think our review for the site, and it's a great one. Um, and it's it's Glass is a is a is a mess. It's a, it's weird and it's a mess. But I I, I kind of dug it. Like I like the whole like no one can tell you your superhero perception dictates your reality idea that he was going with by combining these. Like I like the three superhero characters he realized he had and was like, okay, I'm going to tell a story about these guys, but I don't, not really sure if Shyamalan understands how to blend that with like that, 
comic book trope thing that the Mr. Glass character seems to want, where it's like Mr. Glass wants to build a superhero or he wants to build the ultimate supervillain and he's going to use the James McAvoy character. And there's all these references to comic book tropes. And I don't think that works. I think the movie is like structurally all over the place. Um, I think McAvoy is, is captivating enough in that role to hold it together. And um, I think it was, it was kind of audacious just to have the third act just take place in a parking lot. Like I love that he just goes for it. They tease this other thing, but then it's like, no, we're going to do it here. Um, I, I, you know, it's, I I mean, it's not a good, I I wouldn't call it a good movie, a great movie. I thought it was interesting. Um, weird is better than bland, I guess is the best thing I could say about it. Um, Sure. It was worth my it was worth my dollar fifty from Redbox. I mean, I I, <laughs> I I would never tell someone to go watch it, but as I was watching it, I was going, "This is weird and 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 misguided," but it's got spunk. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely a movie I need to see again, as I am fond of saying, uh, so that I can see the movie that it is instead of the movie that I was expecting. Because yeah. It's not the movie that I was expecting, and and my issue with it is that he seems determined to not give you what you want, which I'm fine with that. I like when a filmmaker does that as long as he or she gives me the thing I didn't know I wanted, and I don't think Glass does that. It's like, I'm not going to give you what you want, but I'm also not going to give you something you didn't know you wanted. I'm going to do this third thing where I'm going to give you what I want, and it's what no one else wants. <laughs> and so I'm trying, I'm, recon- I'm trying to reconcile that. I need to see it again. But Again, I'm kind of not the best because I, you know, again, science is my favorite. I didn't care for Split, and I'm also not as big an Unbreakable fan as a lot of people are. Um, I don't dislike Unbreakable, but I, I just, uh, the stakes were very low for me. So I could kind of go into it, and just enjoy it, just kind of sit back and be like, all right, you know, whatever. Sure. Right. You know, so I know I understand, you know, I remember Adam, I was reading his review. Um, he had a lot of uh, issues with the the the, um, the uh, David Dunn characters sort of ultimate fate. And I totally get that. But again, I don't have enough of an investment in Unbreakable to really care. So I was kind of just going with it. Okay. Um, but again, yeah, I don't have enough of a I, I just I don't know. I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of audacious in a weird like he really is trying kind of way, but sure. I totally agree. I totally get what you're saying. I like trying. Trying is good. Yeah. You know, ambitious failure, right? Right, right, right. Uh, last thing I'll talk about, which um, is all uh, film Twitters, even though I'm not on it too much anymore, but all they seem to be talking about, which is uh, the perfection, the Netflix movie. Oh, is this getting talked about a lot? Uh, it is. Um, have you seen it yet? I have. Yeah, you have. Okay, good. Um, Allison Williams and Logan Browning. Um, I loved it. Um, I don't know where you fall on it. I'm not sure how far we want to go into it. No, I I, I liked it quite a bit. Okay, so I um yeah I thought it was great. Um, I love the way it uses your knowledge of Allison Williams against you. Um, someone online compared it to The Handmaiden, which I think is uh, not quite there, but I can see why someone might pair the two. Yeah. Um, it's been described as like super trashy, but I don't even necessarily think that's true because like there's like sexual content and some gore and stuff, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's exploitative enough to be considered super trashy. That's certainly not um, the aesthetic of it at all. Yeah. The storytelling craft is actually very strong. Like I, I really like that the, the way it was constructed. And, you know, we talk a lot about this quote unquote subverting expectations, but the movie is constantly doing something different every 15 minutes. Um, and I didn't know if you'd seen it yet. So I wrote that there's, there's an image at the end that I think will definitely make your best movie moments of 2019 list that you do every year. Yeah. 
the movie moments of the year. Am I right in that, at least in May? It's pretty great. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I joked, I joked to you and Adam that Allison Williams has a hair related reveal <laughs> that is, is basically my Jupiter and beyond the infinite. Um, if you know my, my preference for not to be objectifying, but my preference for short hair, uh, she has a moment where it was like my face melted. It was like, it was like Raiders. It was amazing. Um, but anyway, what did you, what did you think of the perfection? Um, I liked it quite a bit. I knew nothing and was told by more than one person to know nothing. Um, I had heard it talked about a little bit on shockwaves and Heather and I had spoken about it a little bit and both times it was just like, Oh, it's a crazy movie. Um, so I knew to expect something a little bit, uh, unusual, but I had no idea what to expect. So I like that it's kind of three different movies and that, I mean, I don't want to say anything yeah, because uh, I don't want to spoil too much. Um, but it shifts a couple of times and the first movie I wasn't expecting. And then, like you said, it kind of pulls the rug out from under you and says, yeah, but I'm not just that. <laughs> I'm also going to do this other thing. Yep. And um, so I thought it was super entertaining in the way that it sort of kept topping itself or, or twisting itself. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think I have anything else substantive to say about the perfection other, okay. than, that, other than that. I really liked it. <laughs> I, uh, it's one of those movies that when I finished it, I, I liked it and I was like, Oh, you know, what's kind of sucky is I probably will never be able to like own a physical copy of that movie because it was released straight to Netflix. And for the most part, they don't do physical releases, particularly of their movies. Some of their TV shows do get physical releases, but their movies don't. So, yeah, they don't do they don't do commercial releases. I mean, they do no. like Stranger Things and stuff like that. Right, Fuller I mean, House guess, gets a DVD yeah. release, not a Blu-ray though. So I'm I'm not interested. I'm like, if I can't get Fuller House in HD, what what are we even doing? Well, it's all right, Patrick, because we'll get screeners. Humble brag. <laughs> um, what but, have I seen? Uh, Erica and I saw Booksmart, the directorial debut of Olivia Wilde, and it's very good. Uh, it's a movie that I think people should go see if you're on the fence at all. I know there's been some talk this weekend because Erica has shared it with me about uh, kind of getting the word out and Annapurna maybe not doing the best job marketing that movie. Uh, Olivia Wilde herself has said, hey, please go out and support this movie if if you're at all interested because we're getting clobbered. Um, if you are at all interested in seeing the movie, please find a theater showing it and go see it. It's well worth your time. Um, I know the trailers made it look a lot like super bad. It is a lot like Superbad. It's very similar to Superbad in terms of the plot and the structure and even some of the main conflicts. But um, I think it lacks a little bit of the sort of juvenile quality that, you know, is often associated with Judd Apatow movies because his movies are about men and or boys who are sort of in states of arrested development. So the the juvenile quality is built into the themes and this movie doesn't really have that Um but Olivia Wilde does a really, really nice job directing it. Uh, it's just a really, it's really funny. It's a really solid movie. I'm super excited to see it. I, I'm, I'm thinking about what you said about the juvenile stuff. And I definitely feel like there's probably a function of that where it would have been less, <laughs> maybe less marketable for a more juvenile uh, female led movie. You know, I see a lot of right. think pieces about that, you know, like in my head, I see like think pieces being written about, why a, a female-led comedy why there's more at stake for a female-led comedy so they would have to be a little bit smarter about it you know they couldn't 
basically indulge in all the bullshit that, you know, Judd Apatow movies are allowed to be. I mean, I love Superbad, but um, I could see it being more of a risk for that kind of movie. Again, I haven't seen it yet, but um, I'm glad to hear it's really good. I'm glad to hear people are enjoying it. Yeah, it's good. Um, I also saw this weekend's other big release, Aladdin. We took the family to see Aladdin. I am more or less indifferent about the animated Aladdin. I'm sure I liked it when I was younger, but it was never one of like my movies, certainly not one of my Disney movies. So I was pretty indifferent about a live action remake, uh, especially one directed by Guy Ritchie. And that's the movie that it is. It's the live action remake directed by Guy Ritchie. It is neither good nor bad. It just is this weird thing that exists. I'm not even sure it's a movie. Um, it, it feels more like something you would go see at Disney world because it's raining. Uh, you would like <laughs> duck into a theater for, and see like the live Aladdin show for a little while because it, I couldn't even tell you how closely it adheres to the cartoon because it's been, uh, quite some time since I've seen the cartoon, but you know, the songs are all the same. There's a couple new songs, but it just, I don't understand this whole phenomenon. Like, but what if we did it with actors instead of it? They're not really reimagining the material. They're not really adapting it. They're just doing it with people instead of cartoons. And, and in the case of Aladdin, I mean, the whole function of the Robin Williams genie character turns out that's something you can really only do in animation because the sort of manic performance that he gives is matched by the animation and it works. Um, and Will Smith is not doing that. And when he tries to sort of riff in a Robin Williams way, it's embarrassing. He doesn't even appear to be acting in the movie. He's just sort of appearing in the movie, sort of coasting. Uh, it's like, Hey everyone, look, it's Will Smith as the genie, uh, but not giving a performance so much as appearing as a special effect. It's a very, very strange movie that I f feel nothing about. Like I won't say it's a bad movie, but I wouldn't recommend that anyone go see it unless you're obsessed with Aladdin. And I've always wondered what it would look like if, uh, if actual human beings were performing those roles. I heard they were going to, uh, because of the fan outrage, actually going to go back and redesign the genie. Um, they were going to uh, delay the release of the movie. That's a Sonic the Hedgehog joke. Um, oh, very nice. Yes. Yeah, sorry. No, I wasn't well done. Um, do you expect diminishing returns on this whole Disney live action thing? Because I, I, I had my doubts about Dumbo. I had my doubts about Aladdin. I know that The Lion King is going to probably do beauty and the beast level business. Um, but do you, do you think that there's a, a point in which they're just going to flame out? Like they're doing Mulan. Yeah. Um, I don't are know. They, are, are they doing little mermaid? Like, do you think at some point Disney's just going to stop and just be like, you know what? Let's just, let's just pivot away from this. There's no sign of that happening right now. Yeah. You know, because we, we said that about superhero movies years ago. Do you think there's a point at which, and you know, Endgame is crossing $2 billion and, um, they talked about doing Little Mermaid years ago. Sofia Coppola was actually going to do it, and like I remember that. Yeah. I'm interested in that. You know, if they started doing that, like we're giving interesting filmmakers these properties and seeing what they could do, but they can never actually do that because they're Disney and they have to be a certain kind of a movie. So they're not going to let Sofia Coppola make a Sofia Coppola movie. They just want a live action adaptation of Little Mermaid, which is more or less what Guy Ritchie gave them with Aladdin. Um. I don't know. You know, it's a weird thing. I, I know the Lion King is going to make insane amounts of money because the animated movie made insane amounts of money. 
in the 90s, and I have to train myself not to refer to it as the live-action Lion King because there's nothing live-action about it. Nothing live-action about it, yeah. Just animated, just a different style of animation. The one good thing about Aladdin is, you know, it was cool to see a summer tentpole release filled with so many uh, faces of color and Middle Eastern actors. And, you know, it's like, okay, cool. I know that that's sort of built into the source material, but it's kind of a rare thing. And the audience that we saw it with reflected that sort of. And that's heartening, you know, if I'm going to have one positive takeaway from this movie. Uh, Because otherwise, I just, I felt nothing going in. I felt nothing watching it. I felt nothing coming out of it. Patrick Bromley, F this movie. (laughs) Gonna go right on the Blu-ray cover. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I have zero investment in any of these. I mean, I was much as a Disney kid as anyone who grew up in the '90s, but I could, I could honestly give a shit. I don't care about any of these. I have Aladdin. I don't need another one. I still haven't even seen Beauty and the Beast. I haven't seen Cinderella. I haven't seen Dumbo. Like these, you know, live-action versions yeah. because, yeah, just they just seem kind of redundant. But again, with as successful as they've been, I can't see Disney at any point until they start not returning i can't see any point in disney slowing down because think about how easy it is for them they don't have to write new scripts they don't have to do anything just look we have this property it has name recognition we have a ride at the park already let's just do a live action version and uh double our money which is what they've been able to do so far don't worry because the x-men will now appear in movies with deadpool with right avengers right with so it's all good it's all good. It's all fine. Because the world is ending. Because maybe we'll get the uh, the uh, the original cut of Star Wars. So it's fine. Right. It's right. good that it's good <laughs> that they're merging. Because maybe we'll get a Star Wars without that Jabba scene. Um, the only other movie I'll talk about is we watched Breakfast at Tiffany's for the first time. I had never seen it. Oh, okay. Um, it was good. It was charming. I don't think, you know, what am I going to say about breakfast at Tiffany's that hasn't been said already? It reminded me a lot of Billy Wilder's The Apartment in terms of the tone. Uh, and actually it came after The Apartment. Um, I'm fascinated by the notion that like Audrey Hepburn inspired a million, uh, I don't want to say imitators, but I just grew up in a town where there were a lot of uh, young women who had like pictures of Audrey Hepburn from breakfast at Tiffany Tiffany's up in their bedrooms or like she was sort of their style icon. Um, Erica and I were talking and we were trying to identify, is she the original manic pixie dream girl in that movie? Or is there one that predates her? The apartment is after the apartment is before, but I don't know that I would call Shirley MacLaine a manic pixie dream girl in that movie. Cause she's actually pretty normal character she's not yeah daffy the way that holly golightly is i can't think of anything before that okay i think audrey i mean i'm no expert but yeah no to me the earliest example i would think of was probably yeah breakfast at tiffany's i'm trying to think uh roman holiday is audrey hepburn too right it is but she's not she's not really that same character no yeah, no. I mean, if you if you can think of one, let us know in the comments. But I can't think of anything that predates that. Yeah, you're right. Because Shirley MacLaine in the in the apartment has much more like she's got a whole arc going on. That's actually that's actually when I rewatched it. I usually watch the apartment on around New Year's and yeah. This last time, boy, boy, is that is that dark? <laughs> there's some there's some darkness in that movie. Yeah, I love Billy Wilder so much. Um, yeah. 
Have we had the loser discussion? Uh, like about the how movie the loser, the loser with Jason Biggs is basically just the apartment. <laughs> I don't think I've ever put that together. Okay, you got to rewatch Loser because when right. I was growing, when I was growing up, I loved Loser. Speaking of movies that I loved growing up, which we'll talk about in a second, um, I really was into that movie. Um, not so much American Pie, but I love Loser. And when I finally <laughs> you saw the ap- that horse, huh? <laughs> I, all my Jason Biggs money was in Boys <laughs> and Girls. That's what I was really, I was really. The, Put the cart before the horse on that one. Um, but uh, I, and then when I finally saw The Apartment, I'm like, what does this movie remind me of? And it's Loser. And I haven't been able to find any scholarship that addresses that. And if, oh. if, if no one can find it, then that's going to be my next article. I was saying, you're writing your next piece right now. Don't just go giving it away. I, yeah. um, I mean, immediately I'm thinking about like sort of the love triangle. Yeah. Um, yeah. She lets him come stay with him. And there's the yeah. whole like. I mean, he's not the Greg Kinnear character isn't married in that movie, but he's still there's a position of power because he's the professor. He's like the boss and he's leveraging Jason Biggs kind of with the whole the scholarship thing. He's got power over him and he won't give him the A on the paper, even though he needs it. And he's working at the you guys should really watch Loser. Loser is <laughs> not bad. OK, as far as early, yeah. you know, 2000s comedies go, it says the guy who hasn't seen it. Yeah. Which, you know. That's points. Gives it, yeah, that gives it some points, but I haven't revisited it in many, many years. Um, it's going to be our next podcast. It may be. Uh, the other similarity, they both won Best Picture in their respective years. So that's <laughs> more than just a coincidence. Anyway, Manic Pixie Dream Girls. Go ahead. No, that's it. Yeah, that uh, that Holly Golightly might be the OG MPDG. And, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I don't know how often I'll revisit it, but that's okay. Yeah. It's not a movie I go back to. I saw it once in a film class and then I, I bought it and I watched it probably once after I bought it. But yeah, no, I've never gone back to it. It's good. Should. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Speaking we've, of good. We've, 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 we've danced around it long enough, everyone. Yeah. It's time you know to talk. Let's cut the bullshit, Patrick. Lost in space. The movie nicknamed for a brief time. The iceberg. <laughs> was that the like the working title? No, it was nicknamed oh, the iceberg oh. because it's the movie that oh. Titanic finally crashed into and sank after 15 weeks at number one. Lost in Space is the movie that unseated Titanic. Uh, that's the, the, the weekend office. of that's the weekend of April 3rd, 1998. Patrick, do you want to know what the top five movies of April 5th, 1998 were? Well, I know number one was Lost in Space. You know that number two Titanic. was Titanic. Yeah. Number three, yeah, Mercury Rising. Interesting. America number four get of Bruce Willis. Uh, number four, a reissue of Grease. Wow. <laughs> okay. And number five, Primary Colors. Wow, that's a heck of a 20, top five. Twenty and eleven and ten and five and four million. So basically, the that weekend's top five made about as much money as. Avengers Endgame made last Tuesday. <laughs> That's <laughs> during the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, the afternoon show. Um, Primary Colors I definitely saw in theaters. The reissue of Grease I saw in theaters. Titanic obviously. Lost in Space two times, baby. Yeah, two times. Lost in Space Hopkins bump. got my money. Hopkins bump. Um, this is a movie. So this is a a case where. 
<laughs> I don't know how much I liked this movie when I saw it in 1998. I had high hopes, and I think I still have high hopes for this movie. I know that it doesn't work, but when I watch it, I still want it to succeed because I think there's so much potential here. I remember seeing the first trailer and being like, you know what? I didn't know I wanted a reboot of Lost in Space, but that looks pretty cool. And I like the direction that they're taking that. I like that they're going a little bit. Now I would be annoyed if they were like, we're doing an edgier Lost in Space. But in 98, I was on board. I was like, yeah, do it that way. Make it cool instead of a little bit campy. Not That word gets thrown around too much and I think often misused. But I do think in the case of Lost in Space, the original... It is a little bit campy, um, and this didn't appear to be. This appeared to be kind of cool, and uh, I think the cast is wildly overqualified for the most part. Um, I thought it had a ton of potential, and then I saw it, and I think it is a movie that is ultimately let down by its screenplay, which isn't to say that it's the only problem with the movie. There are obviously other problems that we will address in the movie, but I think the screenplay for this movie is almost disastrous by the time we get to the end. Um, but for the first hour, at least, I'm still on board with this movie in 2019. There's a lot of stuff that I'm frustrated by that I dislike, but I was watching it at like 1 a.m. last night, and I was like, you know what? I'm still in. I'm still in. I was trying to mark the point at which I was. I realized I had fallen off. I don't know that I pinpointed it exactly, but I'm still. I still pull for this movie, and part of that is just my affection for Stephen Hopkins, and part of it is that I still see wasted potential here. Is the point where you jumped off? Uh, is that the blarpening? It's not just blarp. That's what I was waiting for. It's really not because yeah. the movie still. Blarp is 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 a, is an unfortunate blemish on an otherwise spotless film up to that point, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the movie I'm still kind of on board with even post Blarp. I don't know exactly when I like. I mean, it's really the sort of third act when Jared Harris is introduced that yeah. it really shits the bed. But I know even before that. I mean, the spiders are not great. Um, I don't know if there's an exact point at which, for me, the movie totally, the wheels fall off. But uh, but I, I'm so close to still liking this movie. Like I, I will I will fully, I, I can't, I, see, so I loved this movie. When I was, so this comes out in 97, right? 98. Uh, 98. So I'm 13, okay? And I saw it in theaters, and I had this on VHS, and there was probably a period at some point after this VHS came out where I probably watched this movie every day. Um, <laughs> I probably came home from school and watched lost in space probably every day. Um, I loved this movie because, and it was right. Like 97, 98 was a good time for sci-fi too. Like you've got men in black, you've got event horizon, fifth element, starship troopers, contact, Gattaca, lost world, which I defend even though I shouldn't, like there's a there's a lot of really good stuff in here, and um, I had just basically become a Star Wars kid because the um, the special editions had come out, um, which was basically my introduction to Star Wars, and so I had just really gotten into sci-fi and just gotten into Star Wars, and I was like, this is my Star Wars, this is cool, like this is like the cool like modern, like this is this is really you know it's it's edgy as you said, it's not campy, it's not goofy, um, and a couple years back I I went to kind of. I'm not going to say like to watch it ironically, but I think I was like, 
we were I was like hanging out with friends and we watched like Spawn or something. And we're like, let's watch else, you know, something else that we used to think was great, you know, and we put on Lost in Space and I I can't say for sure because I know that there are other writers who are probably worse, but for me, Akiva Goldsman is one of the absolute worst sort of mainstream screenwriters. Uh, and, and some of that, I think, starts with, like, Batman and Robin for me, where I realize that his name is the hallmark of shit. Uh, but Lost in Space <laughs> is another big piece of that puzzle where I'm like, oh, he's the guy who wrote Lost in Space. He's the guy who maybe ruined a movie that could have been good. All right, let's play let's play the draft day game. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Better or worse than draft day? Practical magic. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, a beautiful mind. Um, Cinderella man. Yeah, Cinderella he's man not I liking. Yeah, uh, okay. maybe I, I need to rewatch it again. <laughs> so I don't know for sure, but I remember liking it and if he wrote that then maybe that's his best film, I don't know. Transformers the last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean it makes sense that eventually he would yeah, get on yeah, board yeah, with yeah. the Transformers yeah. movies yeah. because <laughs> that's what those movies were. All right, for real though. Rank the Gary Oldman has a funny face roles. Ready? Dracula, Hannibal, Lost in Space. Do the Fifth Element and True Romance count? I don't know for sure if those two would count. Uh, I'm going to take them out just to make it easier. And we're talking about how we like Lost in Space, but I have to rank it at the bottom of that list because I'd probably put Hannibal first and then Bram Stoker's Dracula and then Lost in Space. Do you think that the the Oldman spider at the end of this is any kind of... I know it's not mocap too early for that, but do you think there's any sort of him acting involved or do you think it's all just CGI? He's, I mean, he's credited as both Dr. Smith and Smith Spider. So I think he did some work. I don't know, you know, watching the effect, I'm back and forth on the Smith Spider. I hate it as a screenwriting construct, but in terms of the effect, when he's still wearing like the, the, the hood and the cloak and it looks like a puppet, I'm on board. I think it's kind of weird and cool. Um, it's when he takes it off that it becomes a weird Sega Genesis game that uh, is not as effective for me, but that might be his face doing some of the performance there. I don't know. I don't know how much of it is a puppet and how much of it is him under makeup. All I could think was this is an action figure like him with the cloak on and then you remove the cloak and bring his arms out and he becomes spider Smith ready (laughs) to attack. You know, I would, I would have bought that action figure for sure. They did have lost in space action figures, but I didn't have any. Let me ask you this. Jared Harris for sure is overdone. Right? <laughs> yes, he is. For it sure. Is. What I like about it is how not distracting it is. Because, <laughs> like, the ADR doesn't match to begin with. No. But then, but then when you can tell that he's overdubbed, it's like, wait it's a minute. It's insane. And then on IMDb on the trivia, it said because he didn't have the vocal range to do the part. I'm like, what vocal what? range are we talking about? What? Jared Harris is a good actor. What? Why? Why did we dub him in this movie? It is so is distracting. Happening in this movie. <laughs> but this is Stephen Hopkins' lot in life. I'm telling you, his whole film career is trying to make lemons out of lemonade because he got he gets his start with Nightmare on Elm Street Five, which he has you know like forty dollars and ten days to shoot, basically. 
um, and tries to make a movie out of it. And, you know, for me, does a pretty good job. I, I'm a defender of that movie largely because I know how difficult it was to make and largely because I'm a fan of him and his attempt at making something visually interesting. And I think Lost in Space is like the $80 million version of Nightmare on Elm Street 5, where it's just like <laughs> he has a lot of shit working against him and he's trying his best to make a movie out of it. Uh, and sometimes he's successful and other times they dub Jared Harris's voice. <laughs> this is a, I would maybe you agree with me because I was looking at the cast and I'm looking at the budget and I'm looking at, you know, reading stuff about it, about how they expected this to be a big thing. Is this a Josie and the pussycat situation where they were like, this movie is going to be the next big thing. And then it wasn't for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think they had like a whole trilogy planned. Um, Cause when you, this was when before you think, new line really got into the whole, franchise yeah. thing because this predates lord of the rings um but yeah they, they were thinking that this was kind of a a, a tentpole movie because you've got you've got matt, Le, matt leblanc in 98 that's like he's knee deep in friends right i mean yeah. he's one of the biggest stars in the world yeah you've got heather graham who you know this is post boogie nights right so i mean she's got to be a, a good get right i would think as she she's probably not a big studio name yet but she's definitely someone they're pivoting, like they're pitching as a rising star, right? You would think. Yeah, this, this is, is this is right between Boogie Nights and Austin Powers. Because Spy Who Shagged Me is like the next year, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, they're definitely putting energy in this. This is studio muscle in this. This is money, and and yeah, I definitely was watching. So you could feel it. I mean, with with the the spider stuff and Blarp and the robot <laughs> and Blarp. the um Blarp and the um. I, what we're going to bring up later, Matt LeBlanc's uh, his awesome uh, medieval uh, knight headgear that comes out of the gun that you put together, which I thought was the coolest goddamn thing in the world when I was a kid. All I wanted was that gun that was made up of like cell phone parts and that 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 uh, medieval knight helmet that inexplicably came up over his face and and surely blocked his vision when he was trying to sharpshoot. <laughs> But it didn't matter because it was going to be an awesome toy, and that's what I was kept thinking about. I was like, "Oh man, the the Jupiter Two playset and the you know the the Nerf gun that you put together, and the the Spider Smith and the Blarp doll, and then you've got the guy from Friends, and like this is this is going to be a big movie." And then it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, it didn't. I mean, like, it, it, it didn't bomb, yeah. and it as you said, it knocked it knocked uh, uh, Titanic. It was the iceberg, but the it was iceberg certain- baby. Iceberg. It was certainly not like, you know, it was not a cultural phenomenon. I, mean, I think I read on Wikipedia that basically the the the, the gross did not justify the planned sequel, as mm. they say, which is disappointing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's talk yes. about Matt LeBlanc for a second because uh, originally cast was Sean Patrick Flannery, he oh. of Boondock oh. Saints fame. Okay. And uh, supposedly, now I've read that he dropped out, but the other story that I read was that he was uh, fired from the movie because they realized he looked too similar to William Hurt. I mean, I, uh, so, I, mean, I, I, I guess. Well, but then why cast them to begin with? I don't know. I always felt like the... Well, he's, not, he's not beefcake enough. You need beefcake in this role, I think. Uh, well, I, I, obviously they were positioning him for that. I always felt like Don West and John Robinson on the TV show looked a little too similar. So I was like, well, that's in keeping with the TV show. But how do you feel about Matt LeBlanc in this movie? I, <laughs> he's, I mean, he is, he is an actor who is doing what they're telling him to do. Okay. And 
I don't know if he is thinking any more about it than that. Um, he has television actor ticks that <laughs> I think George Clooney, he got from George Clooney. Um, I, it's, he, do, he is not, he to me is not the problem. <laughs> no, he's he, definitely, it, he's it, definitely not the problem. I almost like him in this movie. I mean, I think he's, I, I think, like you said, I think he's doing what's asked of him. Yeah. I think he's saddled with a lot of the worst dialogue, which is unfortunate um, because yes. he's, you know, sort of the, the roguish hero. And so they tend to give him all the one-liners and this movie has lots of one-liners because if Akiva Goldsman likes anything, it's shitty one-liners. Um, Akiva, Akiva Goldsman is the king of the, the bad one-liners, some of which are just flat out stolen from star Wars back yeah. to the future. Yeah. Like he just flat out lifts them. Yeah. He's also, he's also a big fan of the, uh, the cut off the line thing where a character will start saying a line interject with something else and then finish the line. There's like six examples of that in this movie. It's really, really strange. One is speaking of Matt LeBlanc. It's when he's doing the thing where he's prepping the ship to take off. And he's like, Oh man, 50 combat missions. Uh, the ship is a navigation is prepped to go, uh, eight years in the core. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, health, health, health status is online. Life supports online. And now I got to take out the, like he's bisecting the line cutting it in half and arranging it. Red, red, blue, red, blue. It's like stanzas, like poetry. He does it like six times in the movie. I was like, what is this screenwriter's issue? That's some next level screenwriting. Is that, and the monkey flips the switch right there. Yeah. And the monkey flips the switch. Yeah. Okay. Great line. I think it's a good line. <laughs> I think it's a good line. <laughs> I, sometimes it's hard for me to divorce uh, Matt LeBlanc's Don West from Joey Tribbiani. Like, Joey, Joey I've Tribbiani. I've seen a lot of friends, yeah. and sometimes it feels like you're yeah. watching Joey Tribbiani as an actor, like when they would show him on Days of Our Lives <laughs> or something, and he's doing his Dr. Yeah. Drake Ramore, and you're watching this, and you're like, I'm pretty sure this is just Dr. Drake Ramore. Um, but I don't dislike him yeah. in this movie. And I, I appreciate that this was his sort of stab at matinee idledom. I think I lost you for a second. Oh. Okay. Are you, at, are you there? Do you hear me? I hear you now. Yeah, are you good? Okay. Okay, you were cutting in and out. Sorry, you, I lost you at uh, matinee idol. Yeah, that's it. That's all I said. Okay. Um. What did I want to mention? Since we're editing, hold on. <laughs> quite a bit since we're <laughs> sorry buddy um all right wait no I wanna... okay so let's talk about don west for a second because one of my favorite little little ticks in this movie is not necessarily with the performance it's there's a moment early on in the movie where he's hitting on heather graham and there's that cold fish bit where it's like oh that's a cold fish i'd like to thaw right and it's like yeah. hey hey right hey right uh. hey right and then William Hurt gives him the whole look and then she comes back over and, oh, hey, dad, I know I'll be back later, blah, blah, blah. And then he's all embarrassed. It's going to be a long flight. It's a funny line. Ha ha ha. Please clap. And then <laughs> and then as they're getting ready to leave, he tries again. And then he tries again. He never and stops I, trying in this movie. He never stops trying. No. And I keep thinking to myself, he just becomes more comfortable with William Hurt watching him hit on his daughter. Like he just, you would think that would dissuade him or he would like be more secretive about it. But no, he just full on does it as they're getting ready to take off. Like, Hey, when we unfreeze in 10 years, you want to do it? You know, like weirdly just, enough, know. that becomes the appeal. That's the part that makes him horny is knowing that William Hurt is watching. <laughs> 
William Hurt. Hold on, hold on for a second. Because he turns John Robinson into a cuck. <laughs> William Hurt and Mimi Rogers are super horny space parents in this movie. Are Have they? you noticed that? Because they are obsessed. She she says when she gives them the kiss right before they get into the uh, the ice the ice thing. Yeah. And she says like, oh, you always get an A in this, you know. And then they're the only they're the only people that are seen having a bed. And then they're the only people who are seen uh, 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 copulating, having marital intercourse. And then Wait, there's when did a, I miss that? There's the there's the cutaway. Well, they don't show it, but they they there's the clear cutaway to the 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 drifting down out of frame onto the bed moment, okay. which is interestingly enough, just after he says he doesn't have time to hang out with his son. <laughs> so <laughs> he has time. Well, we, time you know, to bone. It's, it's, space priorities here and but there's also there's 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 just a lot of rubbing and nuzzling and stuff i mean which is fine because they're the future of humanity and they're gonna have to you know i guess i guess keep on going but but um yes i find it very interesting that matt leblanc is is probably you're probably right he's is don west is probably just super into the idea of like hey like you want to watch yeah that becomes part of it for him yeah can we talk about gary oldman Let's talk about Gary Oldman because when he was announced as Dr. Smith, and I think even when I went into this movie, I thought, well, that is inspired casting. If you're going to cast somebody as Dr. Smith, that's the best possible person you can cast. And then they did the Netflix show a couple of years ago, which I have not watched. But when I found out they cast uh, Parker Posey as Dr. Smith, I was like, wait, no, that's actually the best casting of Dr. Smith I've ever heard. Um, I don't especially he's fine. Like, again, he's an actor doing what is asked of him. Most of his lines seem to be him talking about how evil he is. Well, he's obsessed with his own badness. (laughs) He's doing, he's, he's, he's doing Iago. He's a Shakespeare villain. And I wanted to ask you, because you have more of a background with the show. Is that what the Dr. Smith character does on the show? Is he just, is he constantly making asides to the audience and like, and like, postulating about the nature of evil it's been a very long time since i saw the show so if i say yes somebody out there who's a big fan is going to correct me and say no he never did that um i mean i remember him being just very over the top uh okay and kind of silly almost um but i don't remember him being explicitly evil nor aware of his own evilness because okay so so there's there's two moments i want to point out all right, because because the the Iago thing or the Shakespeare villain, the Lady Macbeth or whatever he's doing, he's there's a moment where he's he's talking, he's he's getting um, he's trying to save Heather Graham, and he's he's running around and he's grabbing and he's doing doctor things and he's moving things around, and at one point he just says out loud to himself, "The other life I save will be my own," and it just reminded me, I guess, just as an English teacher, it just reminded me so much of of Shakespeare, of of a character just like okay, I'm about to go and do my evil thing. Let me tell the audience what I'm about to do. But he has a, he has a piece of dialogue here that I'd like to share with you. I'm ready. That for I wrote it. down. And I want, to ask, I want to ask you if it makes sense. <clears throat> so for those who are uninitiated with the film, and you know, if you haven't seen Lost in Space, then you haven't lived. Um, <laughs> at a certain point in the defrosting chamber, which we have to get back to because we have to talk about defrosting technology, uh, Heather Graham's character gets stuck and her pod won't open. And so in order to save his own life, uh, after the deception has been found out, where we find out that Dr. Smith is the one who trapped them in space and programmed the robot to kill them and so on, uh, uh, Major West makes a deal that if he if he saves uh, Heather Graham, he won't kill him. And so as he's trying to open the pod to get Heather Graham out, uh, Mimi Rogers comes over uh, as playing the mother, 
and says to him, you tried to kill my family. And Dr. Smith replies with the following. It's the world beyond the world, Professor Robinson. Lie once, cheat twice, and everything becomes clear. Do not mistake my deception for a character flaw. It is a philosophical choice that I've found in a study of the universe. It is a way of life. <laughs> she responds with, you're a monster. Patrick, you're a smart guy. What the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Again, I think that's Akiva Goldsman being like, well, if I just say him, if I have him spout enough nonsense that all sounds like it's in character, it doesn't matter that what he's saying doesn't make sense or that he's not addressing uh, any of her concerns. He's just sort of monologuing <laughs> uh, a bunch of evil speak mad libs basically and i, I was uh, i was i was doing like sentence diagrams i was like, trying, <laughs> like what what is he talking about what is the world behind the world like I, I i he's i guess but no he's in his own movie i mean he's just doing it's kind of like what you said about or i guess what we both said about matt leblanc which is just he's just he's like i know he made a choice he's like i'm doing this and this is how i'm going to play it and everything i do is going to be pitched this way um and i I think it's one of the charms of the movie, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, it's bonkers, but I think it's yeah, it's fun. I think Heather Graham, for me, almost gives the performance of the movie. And she's not given enough to do, especially in the second half. But, like, she's sincere without pushing it. She never goes over the top. Um, and she seems to almost know what she's saying in a way that some of the other characters don't. I mean, William Hurt is just sort of dour. And I, oh I listened to part of the audio commentary. I didn't have time to get all the way through it, but of course I will as soon as we're done recording. But um, <laughs> Stephen Hopkins says, one of the great things about William Hurt is you can have him deliver all this exposition because you just believe anything he says. So they give him a lot of the heavy lifting because, you know, it sounds like he knows what he's talking about or it sounds like he means it. But for me, the most natural performance in the movie is Heather Graham. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think she's got, like you said, she's got very little to do, but she even sells. I think one of the hardest moments to sell in the movie is the the thing about the stars, the sailors, when she. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's, she, a, that's an animal cracker <laughs> level she, moment of romantic bonding when they're drawing Porky Pig and Bugs Bunny on the window. She tries, though. You the know, window and, of the spaceship that frosts over. <laughs> the sex window. <laughs> right here like, wait does that happen in space on this on this console <laughs> right here sounds good he's like wait let me get william hurt in here this is a horny shit patrick <laughs> i know lacey chabert wants to fuck don west blark wants a, to fuck everyone that's a thread that goes nowhere lacey chabert she just gives him a little like hey yeah. how you doing yeah yeah, yeah. She, she does the same thing to dr uh, dr smith as well and to Blarp, and she just, she's just she does hormonal. it to Smith when he's a she's spider, a though, which I thought was an interesting twist that she's into Spider Smith more than regular it's... Smith. You know that Akiva Goldsman, by the way, like jerked off all over himself when he has me Rogers <laughs> say you're a monster because he's like, see, because later he's really gonna be a monster. I'm so oh. clever. I will someday win an Oscar. You see, he couldn't kill uh, Doctor Smith when he was a man. No. But when he becomes a Spider-Man, well, it's the, not the spider It's the world beyond the world. Wait, is is Dr. Smith a part of the Spider-Verse? The he greater Spider-Verse? Yes, where, yes. where, where's Charlie? Can you go get Charlie and ask him? 
<laughs> I should have shown this movie to him. Do you think? Do you think that the uh, the the stuff at the end would have scared him? Uh, no, no. Okay. No. So 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 okay. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say one thing real quick about space. No. Um, so so let's talk about the suspended animation thing real quick. We can jump back to other stuff, but I want to ask you a question. Think about all the movies that you've seen that use the suspended animation trope where it's like, okay, we're gonna we're in the ship or we're in the thing, whatever, the pod, you know, alien and stuff, and we're basically going to be frozen in time while we do something else, right? So the whole premise is, okay, they're going to be frozen in suspended animation uh, for 10 years while they, while they travel to Jupiter, uh, while they use the Jupiter 2 to get to the other planet, where apparently a, a small family will build an entire hyperdrive gate, but let's not worry about that. Um, <laughs> where and when is that technological breakthrough achieved, and how come it's never... Are there any stories or movies you can think of where that is the movie? Like, that is the that is the technological breakthrough that causes a giant war, like freeze yourself and live for thousands of years. Like, is there a whole like industry where there's like an evil Elon Musk who like rich people pay to be like frozen until the year 3000? Like, how come there are no movies about that? Surely there are movies about cryogenics. Um, right. But rarely in relation to their utility in space travel. It's always a thing. It just bothers me. It's just a, a, tr- a trope that is interesting because it's always a function of the plot, but it's never the thing. Like it's right. never the movie. It's right. always like using this thing. It's like hyperdrive where it's like we will use this to get here. We will use suspended animation to stay. I just I just want a movie where somebody addresses like how the whole idea of suspended animation will completely destabilize the economy and <laughs> cause a civil war. Like, who is the who is the who is the Bill Gates of this? Like I want to know that. I want to see that movie. Akiva Goldsman needs to write that movie. Right? He's probably working on it right I will now. It's the it. plot of the next Transformers. As long as there are spiders. <laughs> like CG spiders or like spider smiths? Uh, it's all got to be Gary Oldman spiders, but it's okay. got to be like it's got to be like Hugo Weaving in the Matrix sequels where like each one of the spiders is doing something <laughs> slightly different. I don't just want that copy and paste stuff. I want- one of the things that I do like about watching this movie in 2019, and one of the reasons why, in some ways, I feel like it has aged better than uh, than its reputation, is because the CG in it is almost uniformly terrible. I mean, there's some that's okay. Um, but because it was on the early side of CG, we have things like Spiders and Spidersmith and Blarp and... All of that stuff is almost disastrous. Um, But because of when it was made, it uses a lot of practical sets and locations and props and all kinds of stuff in the movie. Even the robot. I was like, well, they're, they're puppeting a practical robot here instead of doing it CG, which is exactly what they would do now. Watching it, I was like, oh, so much of this, the ship's. The, the the planet that they visit, I mean, everything about it would be done virtually, or not virtually, but, you know, uh, on a computer. And I like that so much of the movie still feels tactile because of when it was made. 
I love the production design in this movie. I mean, there's parts of it that go, you know, like you mentioned, the CGI and stuff. But there's especially that sequence on the Proteus where they're escaping the ship and then they crash land onto the planet. You can tell there's a lot of model work. There's a right. lot of miniatures. Like, right. there's a lot of good production design in there. And uh, even some of the stuff, the inventiveness of a lot of the tech. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I know somebody in the comments going to be like, no, that was originally in this and that. But, like, you see... Um, the, the I have mentioned already uh, the battle helmet and the collapsible gun. I thought that was the coolest thing ever, which, you know, if this movie's for 12-year-olds, then it worked. Um, there's also the holographic interface thing with, uh, um, oh, yeah. with with Robot, which when I saw in Black Panther, I was like, oh, shit, that's the thing from Lost in Space, <laughs> where, where, where he pilots the robot without actually being there. And then um, the bugs breaking into the hull of the ship is kind of the matrix a little bit and you know i was like i was like ah, this movie's got some you know this this movie what i'm saying patrick is that this movie is a seminal masterwork it's groundbreaking and blarp blarp is a proto jar jar when <laughs> blarp is when, a proto jar jar for when sure. george lucas when george lucas saw lost in space he was like let's do that it's like it's like an attack of the clones when he saw gladiator and was like we're gonna do that in our movie <laughs> i can do that only better I can do that with more lightsabers <laughs> i'm sorry laser swords yes please um We'll get to Blarp because, holy shit, Blarp was supposed to be a puppet and they did it in CG and I really wish they just left it as a puppet or just cut the fucking thing out of the movie. Um, yeah, Stephen Hawkins is a real visual guy and I'm with you. I like the production design and the art direction. I like a lot of the visuals of this movie. Um, and I, in a, I won't say that it does bullet time first, but that moment on the ship where it freezes and the camera circles around, you know, the Robinsons yeah. all suspended in the air. I mean, I know that like there were commercials and a Van Halen video that had done this, use this technology first. Um, and, but bullet time is what really made it famous, but lost in space doing it a year Howdy. before Hopkins, 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 bump. Hopkins bump. <laughs> all right. One other thing. Um, this movie taught me what the word detente means. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember the one thing I remembered today when I was rewatching it when um, when Maureen uh, Robinson uses uses the word detente. I was like, oh, I remember looking that up after I saw this movie. See, um, yeah, yeah educating see? the youth of America. I'm, I'm telling you. Also, another question. Um, Doctor Smith says that he fought in the Millennial Wars, and I'd like to ask you, Patrick, what do you think that the Millennial Wars were fought over? Uh, Millennial Wars. Let's see. What, what do you What do you think we Instagram? fought? Instagram. Instagram. What's another? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh, EDM festivals. I think <laughs> it is interesting, though, that the movie has the, the, this little bit of political intrigue that isn't really addressed. And I don't know if this is in the in the original show. I, I, I should I should repeat again. I really have no frame of reference for Lost in Space. I, I may have seen a couple episodes, but um, I watched it as a kid, but I haven't seen it in yeah, okay. twenty five years. So the movie begins with with William Hurt explaining that basically the ozone layer is depleted and ozone layer, by the way, is back. That's what we used to call it before we had climate change and global warming and stuff. We used to, when I was a kid, they talked about the hole in the ozone layer right. um, and uh, that that the whole idea of everyone is escaping Earth and the recycling technologies came too late. I actually really like the line where he says, you know, every school child knows this. And William Hurt goes, every school child has been lied to. Um, which is scary because of course we see that in real life. Um, the idea that there would be like a weird seditious force of alien, like conspiracy saboteurs who want to like overwhelm 
Earth's attempts to flee the planet. Like, it's one of those things where you say to yourself, well, why would they do that? Why would they, like, what was Dr. Smith's plan? What money, where, where was he going to spend the money that he made from betraying Earth on the planet with no air? But then I think to myself, well, wait, why do people do stupid and terrible right. things that are against their best interest? Like, why do people vote this way or say these things or do this? And I'm like, I would like to see a, a sequel, again, Akiva, um, where uh, the, they address this whole global sedition and what they do and what their goals were and all that. I want a greater Lost in Space <laughs> cinematic universe. Um, the LISCU. The LI, I want as long as Lacey Chabert is there. Let me tell you, Patrick, about the crush I had, and I, I mentioned with her Natalie and Brulia haircut and everything. <laughs> oh my God! And remember, I'm 12, so it's not creepy. <laughs> She's torn. I'm. I'm. T- <laughs> so was I. Um, <laughs> for the very first time. No. Um. The. Uh. I mentioned I'd probably watch this every day when I was 12, but you know, I would say between 60 and 70 percent of that was probably for Penny Cam, Penny Vision, and her Penny haircut and. Her Natalie and Brulia, this is what her hair will look like in the future. <laughs> just that, just that voice, and I was just, I was just, I was smitten. I was smitten. And again, she's somebody else who's not really given anything to do. They sort of reimagine Penny Robinson, and they give her a lot of eye makeup and chop her hair up. And uh, some of that, I think, was uh, per Lacey Chabert's request because she was trying to distance herself from what she was doing on Party of Five at the time, and trying to play a very different kind of character. So they pushed the stylization of the character in that direction. Um, But then it feels a little bit like that's where they stopped trying. Like, I don't know. We made her look this way. Do we need to (laughs) do other stuff too? The women in this movie are not uh, served particularly well. I don't think. And nowhere is that more evident than with Maureen Robinson, Mimi Rogers, who has nothing to do. And I joked about this to you in a text, but like it is so (laughs) perfectly, underscored by the exchange she has with William Hurt. I'm paraphrasing, but she says something like, come back to me, professor. And he says, I love you, wife. (laughs) And first of all, that's just something a Martian would say. Like, it makes perfect sense that William Hurt would just be like, I love you, wife. I don't know. I call everybody by their role. Um, But just the fact that, you know, he's given the title of professor and she's given the title of wife. Like, I don't know. Isn't it? Isn't she also a professor? That's what I thought. Like, <laughs> why is he professor and she's wife? Why does she not have uh, the title that she has earned as well? I don't know. So that to me is like that exchange perfectly exemplifies like sort of how all the female characters in this movie are treated because it is very much concerned with William Hurt, Matt LeBlanc, and eventually uh, older Will Robinson dubbed Jared Harris. <laughs> What do you Smith, mean? Dubbed. <laughs> uh, uh, no, and also another example. Um, I really, you mentioned Heather Graham's performance, and speaking of the women characters, uh, female characters being underserved, uh, I wrote down a, uh, an amazing line she has in this film, where she, uh, they're on the alien ship, and there's a little alien type egg sack, and she scans it, and she turns to William Hurt, and she says, "This matter appears biological." <laughs> <laughs> And, and it's under- he says, good and find it's- daughter <laughs> it's underscored by the fact that she then like shows him the 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 geiger counter thing the, right. the little egon yeah. Don spangler machine that she's got like oh it does Bio it does appear measurer. it does appear biological <laughs> and then um uh, maureen maureen robinson has a great classic star trek line later where uh they're going into the space bubble 
and uh, the, or, I'm sorry, the time bubble, the time vortex, whatever, the portal, <laughs> and uh, the Doctor Strange thing. And uh, and she says, um, there's an alloy in the mountains that's disabling our comlinks. And I kept thinking to myself, that is a classic like Star yeah. Trek yeah, yeah, yeah. bullshit excuse. The ion cloud that's covering <laughs> the planet. Like I was like, that's great. That's that's the kind of like campy like genre thing where I go, that's good. I like that. Do more of that. <laughs> um, that's right. Bef- that's right before the movie literally steals the where the hell are we? Are, are we? No, the question is when, when the hell, the hell are, are we? Are we? Yeah. I mean, they just flat out used it. They just flat out used the line from Back to the Future, and that's that's also when uh, Major Smith says um, something about in his in his uh, weird uh, gerbil gerbil uh, glass ball thing, yeah. where he says something about uh, uh, turns off the radio and says, "I never liked that station anyway." And we're just like, uh, you know, it's it's a Harrison Ford line, except it's delivered by Puffy Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> uh, it's the listen, it's the world beyond the world. Um, yeah, the thing is, if you've seen five movies, you can predict <laughs> every response in this movie. Where you know the uh, 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 Will Robinson as a kid, who, God bless young Jack Johnson, who is He's trying. trying. <laughs> And that's He's all trying. I'll say. <laughs> he tries. Um, he tries. He says something like, oh, shit. And Dr. Smith corrects him and says, you know, it's a sign of a low intellect to swear, beat, beat, oh, shit. And it's like, yeah, I wrote this when I was 11. Also, Akiva <laughs> Goldsman, you fucking hack. <laughs> Nothing we're saying is dissuading me from rewatching this movie again tonight, I'm, by the way. I'm gonna rewatch it right now. Yeah. No. I, I What is wrong with I, this? I don't I don't know why we're still talking. I think we should just Um Okay, so alright. I'm going through my notes here and I'm trying to figure out what else I want to ask you because I as I told you, I have so many questions. Um all right. So Will Robinson gives his son his dog tags, right? Yeah. He go, he goes um Life you know this is a, right this is the thing that my father always did um and I was always he would always give them to me when he went off on a mission and whenever he came home I would always be there to give them back to him right does will robinson not know how his grandfather died because didn't his grandfather die in a combat mission that is i believe what he tells matt leblanc yeah right is is young Will Robinson unaware of that? Because if my dad, whose dad died in a combat mission, gave me his dog tags, yeah. are they are they the grandfather's dog tags? Did I just miss that? He washed the blood off of them. It's not okay. like he got gave it, him got the blood-soaked right. dog tags from which because... he can dangle in the future. <laughs> is this a Christopher Walken with a gold watch situation? Did he pull the dog tags out of his father's ass? Like, Is that what it was? Space like, ass. I would be like, Dad, why are you giving these to me? <laughs> Grandpa died on that mission. Like, what are you? Uh, I know you. We don't have. A, I know our arc is that we don't have a good relationship, but your bedside manner is just is just terrible. Yeah, that's the weird attempt at like the emotional spine of the movie is the yeah, distance. That's the, that's the crux of the third act with Jared Harris, where again, all of a sudden that becomes the story. Supposedly, the original version of this movie, the whole family was much more dysfunctional. And a lot of that stuff ended up getting cut out. Um, and there was a lot of stuff I know even cut at the last minute. So once again, uh, you know, Stephen Hopkins did not really make the movie that he wanted to make. But, And I don't know how much of that changed. I think from the screenplay to the film, it became much more of like an action kind of family movie. 
as opposed to this sort of dysfunctional family drama in space. But I don't trust Akiva Goldsman. I can't romanticize that version of it. It's not like I was thinking, oh, Goldsman would have nailed that. Why didn't they just let the movie Goldsman wanted to make? Um, because <laughs> Like Goldsman be Goldsman. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, the whole sort of emotional through line of the movie and then the way that it is uh, presented with future Will Robinson, none of that really lands for me. Patrick, why why do we both seem to still love this movie? <laughs> I cannot figure it out because there's so much bad stuff in it. And yet, for real, as we're talking about it, I'm like, I want to watch it right now. I want to watch it right now. <laughs> I think there's enough, there's enough in it that there's just... I don't know. There's an energy to it and there's a, there's, there's enough, I think for me in the, in the, as you mentioned, the art direction, the production design, yeah. there's enough, the movie has enough going for it where there's always something in the frame where you're like, Oh, that's interesting. You know? And not like, again, not to mention the prequels again, but like, not like a crowded, like, you know, there's a thousand things in the frame, but like, like I remember getting distracted during the scene where they're trying to repair the ship and there's the, the command chair that goes up on an extending pole all the way up to the ceiling of the, command center and i kept thinking how could that possibly be practical <laughs> like why would you ever have and then there's a moment where william hurt is is clearly on the ground and tosses a usb drive or a key or whatever like probably 25 feet in the air to matt leblanc and he just catches it casually because you know there's a pa off stage just throwing it to matt leblanc <laughs> and i was like how could that possibly that design that ship design possibly be practical but i was thinking about it for like 35 seconds after that happened and you know it becomes a plot point later and they i mean they they this was not slapdash you know this they 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 may have been in the service of some poor writing but boy did they put it together writing and the references to the original show are present but i don't think too distracting um we have the appearance of several original cast members but it's in mostly you know, uh, background roles to the point where I don't think it's like too horribly, uh, distracting. Most of them appearing during the press conference. And um, it's the, uh, the principal is, uh, is the, the original Warren Robinson, one, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. And then the other three, I think are during the press conference. And, um, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. The principal scene in which Will Robinson is, uh, changing the hologram body on the principal and do, Patrick, right. do you know what he says? What, Matt, what do you know? Do, do you know what the Academy Award-winning screenwriter of Lost I, in Space decided that Will's quip would be in this moment? I mean, I can't imagine what he would say. The changing shape of education. Oh, look at him with the one-liner. Um, the decision to... I, I kind of wish they would have stuck with the original robot. And by original robot, I mean original to this movie. I don't mean they later put the consciousness of robot into robot from the show. And that's right. a kind of fan servicey thing that I just think is unnecessary. I liked the design of the new robot. I'm fine with, you know, hey, we're doing a new Lost in Space. We're doing a new robot instead of sort of capitulating halfway through and being like, oh, just kidding, everyone. Here's the robot you know and love. Um, the most distracting one for me is at the end when William Hurt and Spider Smith are having their confrontation. And Spider Smith says, I don't remember what William Hurt's line is, but Spider Smith's reply is, the pain, the pain. And that was something right. that the original Dr. Smith used to say on the show all the time and was kind of famous for saying. But I just feel like if you're ha- if you're doing callbacks to the show that late in the movie during the like final confrontation between your hero and your villain, uh, it's a, just a distraction that you really don't need at that point when you're supposed to be invested in something completely different. 
there's also Patrick speaking of great screenwriting. Um, there's a moment during the scene you're mentioning in which uh, 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 Dr. Robinson kills the Spider Smith with the the, the science award because it's symb- it's it's symbolism, <laughs> right. it's oh, visual yeah. symbolism. Yeah. Uh, slashes open the sack of eggs uh, that uh, the spiders then begin to devour their host. Um, and as he's running at Spider Smith to inexplicably push him into the space vortex, even though he's going to get killed by the spiders, um, he says, "I wrote it down." He says, take all the time you need to die. Yes. He, he shouts that at him as yes. he pushes him into the time vortex. Now, is, yeah. this a, is, this a, is this a play on words, Patrick? You're a smart guy. Is this, is this, is this the world beyond the world? Yeah, this is, is this the a, world beyond the world, right. Is this a, is this a David Lynch thing? Is this... <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because it, it's, it's John Robinson's first attempt at a quip. Right. And it really falls flat. And, uh, and that is actually what scares him off of quips for the rest of his life. Had they done the sequels, we would have seen a far more humorless John Robinson, not the hilarious John Robinson of this film, <laughs> but a much more sort of stoic, stone-faced John Robinson, because his attempt at a quip uh, failed. Well, because the problem was he couldn't, under- he couldn't understand his adult son, Jared Harris, because he was overdubbed. <laughs> so he didn't learn how to quip. Oh boy, all that stuff with Jared Harris just does not work. Let's let me ask you this one 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 last major structural question I have for you, Patrick. Um, the time this is a this is a this is a very very common issue in time travel movies, and I'm not attacking Lost in Space specifically because of it. But uh, Will Will Robinson, older Will Robinson, wants to use his one trip through time to go back to the day the spaceship launched. I guess prevent the ship from launching, whatever it was. Um, and then later decides that he's going to instead send his father back to the moment in time on the ship on the planet after he already died in order to come up with the solution to save the family. Um, is this a Marty McFly 10 minutes ought to do it problem where the screenwriter just needed to figure out how to get the character back into one place? Because why doesn't he just send dad back through time before they get lost? And then he can just, I don't know, prestige himself or something when right. he realizes there's two copies. But wouldn't that save the day? And I'm not, I'm not shitting on this movie. I'm just asking. Because I have the same problem every time I watch Back to the Future. And Marty McFly goes, jumps into the door and he goes, 10 minutes all to do it. And I'm like, no, no, that's, that's not what you do. <laughs> it's the one flaw in that movie. There are no flaws in that movie. I know, I know. That's the worst thing you said on this podcast. I know. I'm very sorry. Um, I'm just curious. I'm always wondering what I, I wonder what drove Will Robinson to decide instead of solving every problem, just to right. solve this one the specific one, problem. Right. And uh, uh, ironically, or I guess coincidentally, uh, the problem that will ensure that the Robinson family stays lost and uh, make sure we get at least two more sequels. Here we go again, says Penny. It's the world beyond the world. <laughs> and uh, the oh old- yeah, and. And Will Robinson inexplicably sits back in his chair, zoom in, yeah. and he goes, cool. Yeah. Because this movie, Patrick, is cool. Cool. Akiva uh, Goldsman is cool. Yeah, it really could have just ended on Here We Go Again, and they could have yep. announced a sequel, and I would have been there on opening day. Yep. And instead, here we are, more than 20 years later, no Lost in Space 2. Nope. This movie is not well-remembered. Uh and yet you and I are doing our best to, for some reason, defend our affection for it. Because that's what we do, Patrick. I guess so. That's what we do. <laughs> Anything else about Lost in Space you want to mention? 
No, I think that's it. I think uh, I'm just going to go investigate the world beyond the world. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys all for listening. Remember, June Exploitation starts June 1st. Go to fthismovie.com for details. And uh, thank you, Rob. This was super fun and and honestly did make me want to rewatch this movie for the second time in 24 hours. Patrick, a boy of your intelligence should never swear. Shit. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.